0: Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Hey, Southside, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome home. man. I just want to welcome you to Southside, to the message that God has for us today. As we open up God's Word and say, yes. To what he desires. Here's what we want to be about we want to be about building real followers of Jesus Christ. The mission is the main thing, it is about building real followers of Jesus. I believe that that happens in everyday life. It happens not just in the church. It probably happens even more away from the church. When you allow the message of God to infiltrate your heart and your life, the grace of God to be amazing to you, to transform you, to impact you, and then you take it out into the places where you go the people that you see the relationships that you have it begins the word and the message and the life and the love of God begins to flow through you into others and they receive the same thing that happens to you that's how we make it real easy to go to heaven from right here where we are and so that is what we want to do today and i'm 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 happy and excited to be able to talk about a new series today as the, a new series that helps us get from where we are today, all the way to Easter, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter is more than the crucifixion of Jesus. Easter simply carries this message. It's not over. It's not over. Whatever you're going through today, whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever pain, whatever problem, whatever struggle you have, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that the tomb is empty, tells you and I that it's not over. This is what we see today. We all have seasons in our lives where we feel stuck and frustrated by life's struggles. We've entered into a new season. Time has changed. Friends, we have sprung forward. You know what that means. That means more daylight. That means new growth. That means new life. The flowers are blooming. The grass is growing. The temperature is rising. Come on, somebody. That's good. You know what also it means? It means pollen. It means stuffy nose. It means sneezing. It means grass cutting, weed eating, all sunburns, all kinds of things. See, you have not just the good, there's also the bad because seasons bring all of those things. And as we enter in one season and enter into another, things change. And we see that in this place as well. We see that in this season. And as we move into The celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, I'll tell you this, what the season's changing says to me, it's not over. It's not over. There's new things that are coming. There's growth, there's life, there's this and that. There's beauty, there's peace, there's healing. There's so many things that can be found as the seasons turn and change. And so the struggles that you and I face, the difficulties that you and I have, we know that they don't have to last forever. David wrote it in the Psalms. He said, "He said pain may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning." And so life, life. So many times we want to live life on the mountaintops. We long to live on the mountaintops. But in reality, the mountaintops are narrow. They're sharp. They're 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 not they're not a place where you can live long or stay long. Most of us live life. Very few people that I know live on the top of a mountain. Most of us live where in the valley. And that's where most of life happens is in the valley. We're either going up, we're on top for a little while, we're coming down, but most of us live life in the valley and the seasons there. And so the words of Jesus from the cross give us reasons to hope. Even in the most difficult circumstances of life, over the next six weeks, we're going to take six statements that Jesus made from the cross. The cross. The cross. The cross that he was hanging upon. The cross that had nails driven through his wrist and his feet and he was hanging on and he would have to press himself up on just to get air. I think about that, and I think, man, I would just be struggling to breathe. I would be fearful of what is to come and, and, and the end of life and, and not on top of not, not, not to mention the humiliation and the pain from the torture and the beating that he's received, the mockery that's taking place around him. And Jesus has the wherewithal to utter statements, and there's statements that are profound and life-altering, if we stop and take the time. To see them. There's statements of forgiveness, their statements of salvation, their statements of abandonment, statements of distress, statements of victory, and statements of hope in a future. All of those things are found. And the first statement we see is one of forgiveness. Jesus, the very first thing he says while he's hanging on the cross from Luke chapter twenty three, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Stop and Think about what has just transpired. In the past 24 hours, Jesus has been betrayed by his closest followers. Jesus has been uh, arrested without cause. Jesus has been tried in a kangaroo court and found guilty. Even though he had done nothing wrong, he had been lied about. He had been beaten and slapped and mocked and ridiculed in that room. He's handed over to the, to the Roman government uh, and to the governor Pilate and Pilate is trying to find a way to let him go, but his own people are screaming, crucify him. His own people wanted a criminal that was deserving of death to be released unto them, a murderer to be released so that Jesus, the son of God, the author of life could be crucified and killed. And then he hands him over to the Roman soldiers who beat him mercilessly. Take a crown of thorns and drive it onto his skull. His back is strapped to a cross and he's carrying it up a hill. And there they take and drive nails, nine-inch nails into his wrists and his hands and they... Put him in the ground. A wooden stake. A stake driven in the ground. A separation between life and death. Between judgment and forgiveness. Between heaven and hell. Between grace and judgment. And Jesus. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm thinking the first thing I'm saying is, Lord, come get me. And 10,000, and, and, and 10, 10, 10, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 60,000, 70,000 angels are sent to rescue him. Talk about a moment. You want a moment that changes the world. Jesus says, I'm ready. Boom, and there they are. Talk about shock and awe. Everybody sitting there is like, woo you are Lord, you are Lord. It may have been a moment that would have changed their life, But would would it have been as profound of a moment to change your life? It may have changed theirs, but what about ours? Because the mission of Jesus Christ was not just to change that world. It was to change the whole world. And today, we see the words of forgiveness uttered by one who in reality didn't have to offer it. See, we're so quick to judge. We're so quick to condemn. We're so quick to come against somebody else for some shallow of things. Do You see, this is what we see today. Every spiritual journey begins with realizing our need for forgiveness. See, there's nothing that you and I can ever do to get rid of the sin that we carry. The only thing that we can do is say yes to the forgiveness of God. In this story that we're going to see today and coming off of the cross, we get a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. You see, living for Jesus doesn't mean sinning less. No. No. It means living more fully in his forgiveness. We live in a culture today that tries to shape and define the word good. And and we define good based on our, our definition of goodness. And we define someone else's goodness based on that definition. And so your definition is different than my definition, but when I look in the mirror just like you look in the mirror, we think we're pretty good people. And, and a lot of times the world will look in the mirror and see that, and they would say if they ever had an encounter with God or revelation of God, most people would say, you know, would a good God send somebody that's as good as me to hell? And we want to say no to that. And, and we want to believe that there's good things inside of us. But, but, but living for Jesus is not about sinning less. Living for Jesus is about learning to live more fully in His forgiveness. And today, this is what we see in a story in Acts chapter 9. We see a man who is living life in an extreme way. Talk about passion, talk about devotion, talk about commitment, talk about a drive within him to do right, to do what he thinks is good and right, and he is as passionate about it as anyone you will ever meet in the history of the world. Today, if we want to talk about going from one extreme to another, this is the story that we need to tell. It's the story of a man named Saul, and he is living life in one extreme, and at the end of the story, we see him go to the other extreme. What happens, or better yet, how does that happen? It's simply this. It's an invasion of grace. It's an invasion of grace upon his life, unmerited favor, something that he did not earn nor did he deserve that is put upon him in a radical way. Now, when you and I read the Bible, the Bible is not written so that... The the Bible is a book of extremes. There's very little moderation in the Bible, especially when it comes to the stories. The stories that we read here are extreme in nature, and they're not written that way so that you and I would look at them and read them and go... No, that could never happen. Or, man, that was great for them. They are written so that you and I would read them and say, man, if, that, if, if God is that big, if he is that awesome, if he is that powerful, and he could do that for somebody in that day and time, my goodness, what could he do with somebody like me? But in order for us to get from one extreme to the other, we have to realize, number one, that everyone has a dark side. Mm, dark sides you have. Strong is the force, but you must say no. Anyway, I can go Yoda with you. I could preach the whole thing in Yoda voice, but I'm not going to do that to you today. But I do want you to know this. Everyone has a dark side. Acts chapter 9, verse number 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Here's where we are. Jesus has been crucified. Three days later, he was resurrected. Forty days after that, he ascended to heaven. And about 10 days after that, the, the, the church was launched through the disciples and Pentecost in the book of Acts. And then you see them growing. You see people, you see radical moves of God, extreme moves of God, thousands of people saved and baptized in one moment, in one day. And, and, and all of these things are taking place. Some say that within the first few months of the church beginning, that you saw nearly 150,000, 200,000 people in the city of Jerusalem accept Christ and give their life to him. The church was blowing up and exploding in a great revival. And then persecution broke out. Then the religious leaders and the Roman government, they come together and they begin persecuting the church and it begins to scatter it was it, it, you look at it today and think man god's way of of bringing the, the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world began with struggle and persecution it began with pain and problems but god used that to expand the message of god exponentially and 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 as passionate and as an and as extreme as the disciples were so were their enemies and a man named Saul was one of them. He was a Pharisee, he was a Jew, he was he was well-educated, he was wealthy, he was influential. And Saul was one who was passionate for the, the, the Jewish cause and the Word of God and the, the, the purity and holiness of the Word of God. And he was convinced, he was absolutely convinced that Jesus was dead, that Jesus had blasphemed and claimed to be the Son of God and was not. And his not only was he killed and eradicated from the world, so must his followers be. And so Paul made it his mission to remove them from the earth and to stop this onslaught against the purity of the Word of God. It's amazing, isn't it, what our... Our thoughts and our desires and our dreams, or, or even just what we think and believe to be true, can lead us to do. And so, Paul was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He didn't want them, he didn't want them to stop. He wanted them dead. And he believed he was doing it for the Lord. And he went to the high priest and he requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. He wasn't going to just stay in Jerusalem. He was going to make sure to go to wherever this this sect, this, this, this group had gone. And so if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, that's what they called it. Back then they, they 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 referred in the old days to the Bible as the way, the truth and the life. It's God's message. Jesus proclaimed that he he said, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father unless they go through me." And so now they're talking about it. These are people who belong to the way that he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he traveled and was nearing Damascus with a group of men going with him, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now we can stop right there. Saul on a mission, so you better just listen to his rhymes because he's all about, no. Anyway, what he was doing, Saul was on his way on a mission to go and do what he felt like was, he was on a mission from God. He was the original blues brother. But on his way to Damascus, he's encountered by this bright light that suddenly flashes and and shines around him. (laughs) And he doesn't just, it's not just the light. The light starts talking. What he is encountering is not Jesus in the flesh, he's encountering Jesus, the risen Savior of the world. And Jesus speaks and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul thought he was doing God a favor. Saul thought he was doing God a favor by ridding the world of these people, these ingrates, these blasphemers, these criminals. I mean, what would you say if a voice was speaking to you that you couldn't see and you were blinded by the light? I was blinded by the light. all right? He said, who are you, Lord? You, it was not who are you. At this point, you realize you're dealing with something that's bigger than you. Who are you, Lord, he said. Talk about the shock of all shocks. Talk about shock and awe. He said, I am Jesus, The one you are persecuting. Saul could have easily said, I'm not coming against you, Jesus. I'm coming against these people. But to come against those people is to come against him, to come against Jesus, or to come against the the men and women of the faith who are known as the bride of Christ. You don't think the husband's going to step up and defend his bride? Saul, I'm Jesus, the one... You were persecuting. And then he doesn't say, It's okay, sugar. It's okay, honey. This is what he said. You're going to do this. You're going to get up and go into the city, and then I'll tell you what you're going to do next. I love this. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. You know why? The message wasn't for them, the message was for Saul. The, the mission that was being given was given to Saul. It wasn't given to those others. It's how you can come to church and sit in a room and you can experience one thing and another person can experience another. You know why? God's mission and calling and purpose for you is different from theirs. They didn't hear the message. They just heard the voice. They couldn't discern it. It's how some person can sit in a room and be broken by the Spirit of God and brought to salvation, and somebody else can sit there and have a completely different moment and encounter with God. You know why? Because God loves you so much that He's going to meet you where you are, and at the same time, He's so much God and so powerful and so big, He's going to meet the person next to you where they are and the person behind you and in front of you and around you. He can do that everywhere, not just in this place, but anywhere. Where you go at the same simultaneous time because he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present. He is God and the Savior of the world. And so that's where we are. And so what does Saul do? It says, so Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And the men that were with him took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. Wow. See, some people would look at this and think that the 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 moment, it it calls for punishment. It calls for punishment from Jesus. Jesus could have said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Zap, zap, zap. It's over. You're going to be blind for the rest of your life. You're going to do this. I'm going to do this to you. See, it's not punishment. The pain was not punishment. The moment was not punishment. It was love. And we mistake a lot of time the pain and the trials and the tribulations and the misunderstandings and the difficult seasons of life. We mistake them for punishment when what it may be is the love of God leading us into a different phase and season of life. And see, we see this in Paul's life. See, see, there's two forms of spiritual blindness. One, you believe that your way is better than God's way. And two, you believe that you can be good enough to win God's favor. I'll say this about sin. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. This is not a, this is not about being good and bad. This is about being dead or alive. You see, so he was unable to see for three days and he didn't eat or drink. You see, God is not trying to pay you back. God is trying to bring you back. Why? Because everyone has a dark side. This is about an invasion of grace. And you and I have to understand, we have to come to this realization, this understanding that, you know what? You have a dark side and so do I. It is the sin that is living in us. And it's not about us being better people or, poor grammar, gooder people. This is about us realizing that sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. And Jesus doesn't make us good. Jesus makes us alive. And he doesn't do this to pay us back. He's doing this to bring us back. So everyone has a dark side. Number two, no one is beyond hope. If we can see anything in this story, and Saul would have been known as a good man, a righteous man, a holy man. He would have been elevated as high as you can get in his culture and his community. He was wealthy. That was, again, he was healthy. He had all of these different things going for him that signified the blessing and the favor of God upon his life. But he had a dark side. But what we see also in this story is that there is no one beyond hope. No one beyond hope. Let's go into Damascus. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. I love this part of the story. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, can't you imagine Ananias? He's sitting there reading his Bible. He's sitting there having this quiet time. He's praying and he kind of gets quiet. Everything gets still and he senses something. So he's quiet and he's listening. And the Lord Jesus speaks to him. Ananias He says, here I am, Lord. I mean, can you imagine what would you do if I'm sitting there in the moment and he's, and the Lord says, Jeff, what would you say? I would either go on my face and go, Oh, it's me, or I'll go, here I am, Lord. God is speaking to you audibly. What a powerful moment. Man, this has got to be big. This has got to be huge. If God's going to speak to me, get up. Get up, Ananias, and go to the street called straight. I bet Ananias is going, yep, know right where that is. You go over here, you take a left, you go to the right. Yeah, I know exactly where straight street is, Lord. I know. The Lord said to him, that's what he said to do. He said to the house of Judas, Lord, I know he's a good dude. I mean, he's got the same name as the guy that betrayed you and all, but I mean, we ain't gonna say nothing. He ain't like that. I know Judas, I know straight, I know where we're at. And asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he can regain his sight. Ananias, a man from Tarsus named Saul. This is what Ananias says. Uh, Lord, I have heard from many people. See, we do that, don't we? I've heard a lot from other people. We hear from many people. We hear all these things from many people. He said, I've heard from many people. Watch out for the things you hear from many people. I've heard from many people about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Lord, I've heard what he did to the people in Jerusalem for many people, and he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. Lord, just making sure I'm hearing you right. I can't imagine the moment that he finds himself in. You talk about this whole new thing, this this resurrection of Jesus Christ. They'd heard the message, and now they're receiving not just the message of Christ, but the the Holy Spirit of God. They're being baptized. Their lives are being rocked by the power of God, and now they're hearing about how their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are being arrested, murdered, hearing the story of Stephen. Stephen who was murdered for his faith. And now the, one of the men that was a part of that, that encounter, now he's coming to Damascus, and he has the chief priest's uh, uh, approval and warrants to arrest anybody that call on the name of the Lord. It hadn't happened in Damascus yet. I bet Ananias was real, real well known in the town. And Now the Lord wants me to go to him? Part of me sitting there saying, you know what, Lord? There's no hope for a guy like that. How quick we are to judge and write off. But the Lord said to him, he said it to him, go, go for this man. Listen, please don't miss this. This man is my chosen instrument. to take my name to the Gentiles, to kings and the Israelites. Big deal. How does that impact us? Well, friend, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And because you get to sit and hear the message of Jesus today is a direct result of one who had a dark side and who many thought was beyond hope. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I got a greater plan than you can imagine. Ananias, he's my chosen instrument. He's not for you to worry about. And if you're mine and I'm yours, then I need you to go do what I have called you to do. He said, I will show Paul or Saul how much he must suffer for my name. This is what we learn from the story. It's not about retribution. With Jesus, it's about restoration. You see, your mistakes don't have to define you. It's an invasion of grace, it's going from one extreme to another. You have to realize everyone's got a dark side, but no one is beyond hope. And finally, anyone can find a new beginning. With Jesus. Anyone can find a new beginning with Jesus, even this man named Saul. So Ananias left and entered the house and he placed his hands on him and this is what he said. Can you imagine walking to straight Street, going to the house of Judas, knocking on the door and walking in maybe nervously, maybe hesitantly. maybe he walks up and with his hands shaking, and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling. Maybe he didn't do that at all. Maybe he knocked on the door with confidence and walked in and placed his hand on Saul's head and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at once, See that's what happens when God comes in and does extremes it happens all at once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his his sight and then he got up and was baptized there was no, let me think about it, let me pray about it, let me see about it, let me let someone know about it. He he was in a moment of extremes, one extreme to the other, living on mission with full passion and devotion, wholly committed to God, doing what he thought was a holy service to God, encounters Jesus. Jesus blinds him, sends him into town, and Ananias comes with a message from God. And when he receives it, scales fall from his eyes. He gets up and he's baptized. In that moment. You know why? Because God's taking a man from one extreme to the other. He's got a message and a calling for his life that's not just going to extend to Damascus, it's going to extend to the ends of the world. Paul didn't become a church planner because he thought it was a good career move. Paul became a church planner because he was so filled with the passion and love and devotion, commitment to Jesus Christ. Because he once was blind, now he could see. He once was dead, but now he's alive. He realized he wasn't good He was bad. He didn't realize he was was bad. He was dead. And now Jesus Christ made him alive, and everything changed in an instant. And after taking some food, he regained his strength, and Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days, and immediately he began proclaiming, Jesus, He is the Son of God. Friend, God didn't save you from something. God saved you for something. And you have to decide what that is today. What did God save you for? What did He didn't save you from it? He saved you for something. And so today it's important to know no one can go back and start a new beginning, but anyone today can start and make a new ending. Why? Because nothing can beat the grace of God. Nothing can beat the grace of God. So wherever you are today, Whatever you are doing, stop. And I want to ask the question what does the empty tomb mean to you? Is it just an empty space? Are you still living like Jesus is on the cross, dying from his pain? Do you believe that the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive. And he wants to take you from one extreme to the other. Yes, you have a dark side. No one is beyond hope. and Anyone can be transformed through the grace of Jesus Christ. The man who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton, said at the end of his life, he said, after all of these days, I'm convinced of two things. One, I am a great sinner. And two, Jesus is a great Savior. Jesus wants to save you today. If you've never experienced it, stop where you are, call on His name, repent from your sin, and invite Him to live in your life. Then, tell somebody. Find a church. Find this church. Get involved. Ask the Lord of Heaven to begin to use you to change your life. May the Lord bless you today. Amen. If you made that decision today to say, yes, I do want to choose Jesus. I do want to acknowledge him as my personal Lord and Savior congratulations we could not be more excited for you and we want to help you in that process and answer any questions that you might have and provide you resources to do that simply text jesus that's j-e-s-u-s to 706-449-0870 and one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith